Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Los Politicos, our first episode of 2022. And yes, half the year is gone. We apologize for the delay, but job transitions and the Georgia Senate uh, are very demanding and competing interests. So if you're joining us for the first time or the 14th time, uh, we have on our show Joel Alvarado, New York and progressive Afro-Latino nonprofit professional focused on Southern equity who once called Brooklyn home but he's now a proud Southerner. And we have Senator Jason Anavitarte, another proud Puerto Ricanio, Senator from Dallas, Georgia, and a national Republican leader. And myself, Chris Perlera, Salvadoran, Guanaco, if you will, transplant by way of Massachusetts, then Athens, and a UGA grad, and a strategic partnerships and messaging consultant. So right off the bat, we want to give a huge congratulations to our Hispanic, our Latino and Latina candidates that ran in the primaries here in Georgia. Uh, not every single person won, but races were well run. First off, congratulations to Michelle Schreiner for putting herself out there. You know, it is a sacrifice. It is not easy to be a candidate. Every single one of us has been a candidate. Jason is the only successful candidate on this show. Congratulations, Senator. Uh, <laughs> that's, that sucks. I'm still I'm triggered by that statement. It's hard work. I mean, you know, somebody's got to win. Hey, I'm, uh, I, I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to see it. You know, you, uh, you made history as the first GOP Hispanic senator in Georgia. And, you know, that's one for the books. And speaking of, we have Jason Estevez, you know, outgoing APS school board chair. Uh, who's probably going to be your Democratic counterpart. Coincidentally, another Puerto Rican, he he won his, uh, his primary election. And then we also have Phil Olay. He is our our twofer, Afro-Latino. You know, I want to say he's uh, half Nigerian, half Colombian, uh, right uh, in the Honduran. heart of Atlanta. Is Honduran. it Honduran? Are you sure? We're going to have pretty, to. Phil, Phil can correct you. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Colombian. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're gonna let Phil correct us in the in the in the show notes. Oh, that sounds uh, like another show. We're gonna invite Phil to come on. I already told him. I already told him we should come All on. Right. We should have him on. But uh, he automatically wins. So he has no Republican opposition in the heart of Atlanta. So he is the uh, he is the state representative elect for the new district that was drawn. He's based out of Summerhill. Uh, also, can't forget about uh, our other Cuban friend Ray Martinez. Uh, who makes a mean Cuban sandwich, and he's insisted he's going to host us for Cuban sandwiches at the Capitol. Like it. Uh, so we we got new blood, and uh, of various types, and on both parties uh, that we're going to see there. So, and let me just that. say, Chris, too. Um, there's there's a bunch of other Latinos who ran for various um, offices in different parts of the state, and I'm I'm just appreciate they're willing to, like you said, to go out there and run. <laughs> Even if they, they felt that they weren't going to win, it's important to put their name out there and to show that Latinos have a definite uh, viewpoint in regards to how we should be represented at the federal, state, and local level. So I just want to shout out everybody who wasn't on this list, but who willing to put their hat in the ring. That takes a lot of courage, a lot of conviction, and don't stop believing in yourself and stop believing that the Latino community should be well represented across all um governments yeah and you know there there are a lot of hispanic candidates that i don't know who they are and sometimes they reach out to us and they for better or for worse you know they'll be like oh well why why won't you help me i'm a hispanic candidate i'm like look that i all more power to you but like I, there's a line of pre-existing relationships of folks that invested in us and who we invest in and you know, it's it's to the nature of the show. This uh, it's a small group of people that that have the professional chops that we could just 
if we wanted to, we could run like most campaigns. But the reality is we have a million other things to do. So if you're one of the people that reached out to me during the course of the cycle and you were, you know, I'm, and I, we didn't get the chance to meet, I'm sorry, uh, but you know, maybe next time. Right, right. And also let me just shout out to um, all the Latinos who volunteered, worked on campaigns, gave money, any way people were, and of course voted, any way Latinos played a role in the political outcomes that occurred so far, uh, more power to you, man. The more we are engaged, the more votes and money that we can add to the conversation, the more relevant, the more respected we'll be in, in Georgia politics. Jason, you got any any notes, Sad? Yeah, I, I just look. I just uh, really look forward to debating Estevez on the Senate floor. I look, I look forward to his hazing when he uh, walks into the chamber. So we're gonna have a lot of fun with Jason. Is he I gonna mean, be the friends. tallest man in the chamber? Yeah, probably by far. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh so, man, hey, it's all it's all right, man. The funny thing is, I remember. Um, then we move on. I remember I met Jason on the basketball court. He and I, he knew my my brother. We first met playing basketball, and we talked about that when he was on the show. So shout out to uh, our season one. We had Jason on there talking yeah, about friend of the show. That. Absolutely, and. Um, I remember he was in a fellowship program that Leader Abrams had. Shout out to Stacey Abrams, next governor of Georgia. And for those not watching, we got a thumbs down from Senator Ron with and, expected. Some folks are still drinking. <laughs> right. And <laughs> to go from that fellowship program then to the school board, now he, he's going full circle, ended up possibly coming. No, he definitely become our next state senator. And, the, and he'll be the first African Latino state senator in the history of Georgia. Um, that's just what it's about, man. It's about having a vision for yourself and making it real. So again, just a lot of love to everybody who was part of, um, who is part of this electoral cycle and is still still out there grinding, trying to get this work done because it's not easy, but it's definitely necessary for our community so we can be present when decisions are being made about us. Uh, we can make sure that we're at the table as well to determine what's going to happen for us. All right, Joe, you also get the first pick at uh, our recurring segment, What's on Our Political Mind. All right. So, first of all, I'm just so excited that we're back together again, y'all. I know we've seen each other a couple of times um, during during uh, this pandemic, and I'm just really honored and happy that we can get together and, and talk shop. I mean, we've been friends for a long time, all three of us. And I'm glad we're able to to start and hopefully we'll be able to offer the people more insight and more hilarity regarding, you know, how we see the world politically as uh, as Latinos working in the space. So anyway, my political mind <clears throat> really is based on Humberto, uh, who everybody knows, um, really good guy, really good supporter of uh, Latinos in politics and he uh he i remember hearing him talk about the type the, the amount of representation that that we need in the state legislature so mine is five is not the ma magic number so you know latinos about 10 10 percent of the population there's 10 million georgians based on the census latinos make up about a million and we may only have about five latinos in the state legislature and that's just appallingly low in my opinion it's better than it was before. We've had three since 2003. So it's 20 years. We've had the same amount of representation, three. And it's just, we have to do better and be better. And 
you know, I've been doing this work since 1999. And the fact that, you know, people are celebrating because we have a plus two from what we had before. It's just, it's, it's tough because I understand the context behind that. Like, I understand that people are happy about the moving forward, but at the same time, I'm trying to understand why is it that we only have five? We should have, kind of going on Umberto's uh, logic, if we make 10% of the population, we should have about 23 representatives in the House and Senate based on the number, I think it's like 238 uh, House and Senate uh, members in the legislature. And for us to only have five, we have to we have to figure something out. We need, and I, I know I've been harping on this for a long time, we need to have a Latino political infrastructure where 365 days, seven days a week, we're working to build recruits, raise money, uh, build a GOT infrastructure, build a voter registration, voter education infrastructure, and really make sure that it's Latino-led and operated, uh, and make sure that we are in the community. Every time a Latino turns 18, they should they should have a voter registration card in their hand. We just have to we just have to figure it out, and I think we're getting to the process of figuring it out because one of the ways we're able to accomplish it, and we'll talk about it later in regards to our theme, the Latinization of Georgia politics, that more and more Latinos are investing their time and their intellectual capital and talent into the political world. And so that gives me hope and that gives me joy because that believe, that like makes me believe that the future is gonna be brighter because we have new talent that's emerging that can really help move the needle forward with regards to Latinos in politics. Chris, I'm good, that's it, mic drop. All right, I'm just making sure we, we give you your full breath. Um, so did he take a breath? He did not take a breath. <laughs> I don't think I did. I think Joel, I just went. Well. Joel is known for being a, a full and articulate professor. Uh, you know, I'm, I would listen to the lecture and I, my ADHD would cause me to have to sit up front or I'd, I'd lose attention, but it's quality material. <laughs> Appreciate uh, that. You're welcome. Um, so, you, you know, it, it, I'm not going to, you know, let the show recording that has happened, you know, it's been seven months, but, you know, there's been historic changes. Uh, via the Supreme Court, you know, first first in my lifetime for a lot of folks, you know, I'm, I'll be 37 this this year. I'm an old man, but uh, I've, I've never seen such an activity come out of the court. And there's a lot of dialogue that comes, uh, you know, at uh, from Republicans and Democrats, from conservatives and progressives uh, about what this does to women and women's rights, how this impacts men and parental rights. Uh, but it is fundamentally a complete paradigm shift. Uh, and many, many perceive it as an erosion of fundamental rights, but it, it is a momentous change in the, the moral politics of the nation. And it's, you know, it's really funny because it, it brings back, you know, what is it, the, Re the Reagan era of marrying the GOP to Christian, what what they perceived as Christian values, which, you know, and anybody was willing to, to take up that argument on most days of the week. Uh, and, and just understanding that other countries do not have this type of power coming out of their court systems to reverse these significant precedents or cultural norms, policy norms that even if they haven't been enshrined into specific pieces of legislation, these things don't change out of the courts in other countries. And I think there was a really interesting times piece. Uh, and you know, it's it's been, it dominated the cycle. I believe it's gonna continue dominating the political cycle for the rest of the year. Uh, it's gonna be a very interesting charge for conservatives and progressives alike. It's a very, very heated conversation in the Hispanic community. You know, we are our, our older folks tend to lean 
you know, as, as a pro-life kind of community. They're like, you know, protect babies at all costs. And they, they will talk to you just as fervently like any other standard, you know, faith-based GOP voter. But if you talk to a lot of the younger Hispanic voters, that more of them will lean progressive, they, they repeat the, the standard democratic progressive talking points. And so we will see how much this helps or hurts either side in the Latino vote. And people will be making cases. We'll be talking about what, you know, because you really don't know at the end of the day, because we operate off of projections and, you know, and um, in, in surveys when people are going, you know, leaving the, uh, the voting booth and their voting precincts. But this is, uh, this is a very significant issue for the Hispanic community. And we'll talk a little bit about how, you know, we are front and center in Georgia because these margins are going to be so small. And this is most definitely going to be something that Republicans and Democrats will be campaigning and trying to appeal or defend themselves amongst Hispanic voters. Yeah, I would, I would argue, though, that I think in fairness in a couple ways that um, I, don't, I don't know that this is shocking. I think the three of us would agree. And I know Joel's agreed with us that, you know, all elections have consequences. So this is this is the result of those consequences. Um, I think big picture in terms of dramatic shift i think we've seen a dramatic shift with the courts the last 50 60 70 years at different points in time and i think our our nation's history and and i think we're at that moment in time again whether we go back to the war in court with historic decisions or others um i think this is this is where we're at so um i do agree chris i think it's gonna be interesting to see kind of you know what is you know everybody's got their knee-jerk reaction based on your beliefs but you know, where, where does this go over the next weeks and months and years to come um, <clears throat> as these decisions have been handed down by obviously a, a conservative court um, you know, here in the country. So it'll be interesting to kind of follow, but I don't, I don't know that it's, to me at least it's, it's not, I, I, it shouldn't be that surprising. Well, I'll, I'll add as somebody who, you know, we talk about, you know, I'm the independent and I'll caucus with certain parties from time to time you know, I was trained formally by Republicans. And from 10 years ago, I was most literally told that the judicial branch of at every level was a opportunity of strategic importance. And we're not talking about the morality or the ethics of applying politics and policy through it, because that's an entirely different conversation. But I will say that the democratic ether apparatus as a whole was just completely blind and could be willfully or could be accidentally to that process because it was not an overnight process that was a goal that was established well over a decade ago and they were and their operatives were being trained in that with that goal in mind so it's bittersweet and i think you see a lot of democrats that throw their own party under the bus because of the outcomes and who did or didn't resign in time or who should have been a more uh, you know powerful leader to a to stack the bench a certain way or another so there's a lot to be said but that's not really the yeah. point of the segment <laughs> well and hey and real quick just you know while you're on it i mean i think i think that's why you have people like governor kemp who've taken and been very intentional about probably having the most diverse the most diversity in his judicial picks agency picks that we've probably seen in the history of georgia um during his term as governor. And I think he's taken, you know, taken that in mind in terms of, you know, while he has his beliefs and has his his principles and, and what he stands for, 
I think taking in mind the, you know, the diversity in all the communities across the state. So, you know, each leader handles it differently, you know, whether you're a governor or president or otherwise, but um, I think everything you're saying is, is true. And we've seen it, you know, play out that way the last three or four years in Georgia. Yeah, I'll give my old boss points for, <laughs> for being very, very effective with his appointments. Um, you know, again, policy on the top level of how you govern versus policy of how you treat people are two very different things, like individual one-on-ones. And uh, for better or for worse, Kemp has a very strong individual relationships game. And it's something that I've always admired about him because uh, he'll he'll take somebody, give him an opportunity, uh, whether it's putting them on a bench or giving them a start in their career. And I know Joel's itching to say something. Yeah, I mean, you know, it makes me think, Chris, I know we talked initially about this being the focal point of our podcasts, just so many thoughts in my head. You know, I'm thinking about Merrick Garland, how he was denied the opportunity to go through the Supreme Court nomination process. And that could have that could have helped contribute to this outcome. We would have had another democratically appointed, um, Democrat appointed, excuse me, um, justice on the, on the uh, Supreme Court bench. Think about 2016, where seems that many Republicans tolerated the president at that time because of the outcome he could provide them, which was the appointment of very conservative judges on different levels of the um, federal courts. And I think about how during the pandemic, how individuals were complaining about the state dictating to them what they can and cannot do with their body. Yet here they go around and telling half our population what they can and cannot do with their body i think it's 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 just teeming with hypocrisy and inequity and the idea that men could tell women what they can and cannot do with their body is problematic and the idea of this 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 concept of being pro-life but it feels from my vantage point that is that many are pro-life when the child is is in the womb, but once the child is born, that same desire to be a voice for the child seems to go away because that child is not able to get um, pre-K at an early stage. That child's not able to get adequate health care. That child's not able to get adequate housing. That child's not able to get adequate access to food. That child is not able to get um, the wherewithal needed in order to um, realize his or her or their American dream. So, you know, it's, this is a tough one. And I'm just, I just feel, I feel a certain kind of way about this decision. This is definite activist uh, work by the uh, the Supreme Court. They, well, they, 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 go ahead. You gonna no, say I was going to say, I mean, we, um, if we want to take it to the logical consistency, just talking about kids, you know, I, I am a, for better yep. or for worse, a child welfare expert, having spent a year immersed mm-hmm in and being the the highest level operating hispanic in the state's welfare system That's right. and to my knowledge and to the my you know my my boss who's like a 30-year veteran of dhs and defects i saw a lot of stuff and i can tell you we are woefully unprepared to just take care of the kids we have now like there's there's a difference between people saying it's all about the kids and there's a difference between fully funding and, and creating a culture that really puts kids first regardless of whether they're newborns, unborns, or, you know, trying to get them from the cradle to their career, and then from their work success to life and purpose success. Like there is, um, 
there is a holistic and fundamental view that society has to adopt no pun intended talking about kids and adoption you know that we have to as a society collectively say children are the most precious resource because if people are not comfortable having children if they would prefer whether abortion is legal or restrictive or illegal if people prefer not to have children that says a lot about a society and if they feel like they're being forced into a decision it says a lot because people for myriads of reasons do not feel like they are prepared or supported to bring in additional members of a nation of a state of a community um because you know we we have failing schools we have underfunded child healthcare programs we have opportunities that are missed because we just don't give kids what they need to be kids and grow up to be healthy adults and that's an existential problem that we all need to be cognizant of and so we're going to try to get back to the actual theme of the show that we had decided uh but clearly we're we're very passionate about this issue and it's uh, and as everyone should be talking about the outcomes of the Supreme Court but the the theme that we were we had in mind is is the the latinization of Georgia politics and you know credit to Joel for for wanting to just highlight just the ever changing nature of the political and governmental landscape and how we become more and more important the more important Georgia becomes because even though we're a smaller chunk of the whole electorate 10,000 votes 50,000 votes we have those votes and we could go either way so Joel you want to jump in yeah i do thank you and really the um the impetus of this is multifold one is as you well know chris uh lost polls had a little um little get together on the rooftop where i live at in midtown about uh, a week ago right about a week ago right last like a lifetime ago that was at least friday. 10 parties ago there you go last friday and so we had about eight or nine um latinos young younger than me for sure younger than you um i'm an old that, angel uh well i don't know what that makes me then um but nonetheless uh we uh we had them come together and i was just reminiscing about you know the history of latinos and politics since i've been doing this since 1999 and and just kind of talking with all these young folks who were in the around the table who either work in government at a federal state or local level or are politically aligned because of the outreach they do or the volunteering they do or the funding they they provide candidates or um shout out to Gigi Pedraza in the Latino Community Fund Georgia who was there with her husband and hanging out um with us and just kind of enjoying a, a moment where we can talk and we can build and we can kind of reflect and learn from each other it, it was a phenomenal moment and then on top of that um I remember yesterday I went to my favorite coffee shop uh Dancing Goats um shout out to Dancing Goats coffee shop always giving me great coffee great service <laughs> um shameless plug hopefully I get compensated for that um the Jerry uh Gonzalez who's the head of Galeo the Georgia Association of Elected Latino elected officials and Phil Olaleye was there, the uh, representative elect um, in the state house of representatives were there and they were talking and I was overhearing Jerry while I was waiting for my coffee, talking about the history of Galea, which I was able to witness. And I just realized that, you know, we've come a long way. And the fact that, you know, we, like he and myself and Pedro and some others have been on this journey. There's been so many others who have been a part of this work 
in the beginning stages that helped create the foundation that we all stand upon, the shoulders that we all stand upon. And, you know, my job is to move the ball forward. And so just kind of seeing all the work that's happening behind the scenes and in front of the scenes with Latinos really thinking strategically and, and, and working collaboratively in order to ensure the Latino voice is heard in all public sectors. So um, I just, I see the Latinization of Georgia politics. I see us playing a greater role in it. And I believe that every day we are moving forward to being really uh, a major force in in the, the political conversations that are being had and the outcomes that are, that are deriving from our efforts on multiple fronts. So I just wanted to lift that up. And then also there's so much other work that's happening, right? Chris and Jason, like, like I remember Jason telling me about the uh, Republican outreach centers that they have in Gwinnett and I think in other parts of the state where the Republican Party is, is going all in on on Latinos and bringing them to uh, and want to have them be a major part of the party, right? Latino Victory Fund is doing phenomenal work in supporting candidates here. And, you know, Chris is overseeing with Frank Fernandez, the Latinx Alliance, where we're trying to bring Latinos together to really think about how we can, not really political, but it's more, how do we leverage it's capacity who we building. are? Yeah, capacity building, it's, it's power building, right? And it's trying to figure out how do we leverage who we are and all that we bring to the table <clears throat> so we can have a reality in Georgia that is beneficial to those who we serve and those who we know and those who we live amongst or we love. So it's a lot happening. I just felt like we'd be remiss in jumping back. This is our first, um, first, like Chris said, this is our first time coming together in 2022. I, I want people to have hope and realize that it is happening. Um, it might be slower than people want it to be, but it is definitely um, happening regarding our um, inclusion into the, uh, the, 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 the politics of Georgia. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll bring it back to, you know, why we get together to have drinks and pizza on, on Joel's rooftop. Joel's, uh, you know, constantly remind folks he's, he's an old head, you know, part of the old guard, the wise, the, the proven, the trusted, you know, and Jason, Jason, unmute yourself. I want to hear when you laugh. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we get together to share success. He's not, that, he's not that old. He's not that old. And, uh, you know, we get together to talk about success, struggles, and to be frank, the trauma involved in being so immersed as professionals. You say, look, all the respect to folks that volunteer and donate their time, it is a different lens when you make your living working in policy and advocacy, lobbying in government professionally. You're forced to swallow pride. You're forced to suffer personal, professional character attacks. Uh, you have to defend your candidates, you have to defend your clients, and you're constantly walking this tightrope of do people hate me or do they hate the thing that I represent? Or do they love me? Or do they love the thing that I represent? And it's a very specific type of experience that a few of us have. And we were been talking about this on the rooftop. You know, when when I was getting started 10 years ago, that you know, most of those people we're nowhere near ready or around in those scenes. And so we we're talking about like not just the candidates and places in government, but you know, on that rooftop, we have folks that are professional lobbyists, folks that work for senators, people that do consulting, advocacy and part-time lobbying that run full-blown advocacy organizations. And we didn't have even that bench before. Folks that you know are right and left-hand people for major county commissioners. 
um, and, and also the importance of knowing each other, because it doesn't mean that you can just do everything and every single favor and carry each other on your backs. But every now and then you need a nudge. And sometimes you just need somebody to listen to you that's not going to look at you like you're crazy for complaining about the things that we complain about that seem existential or so far removed from daily struggle. Because to an extent, it is a privilege. It is a luxury. It is a blessing that we get to live, that I get to live in this country where El Salvador freaking, I have, I don't, I'm not a really a big fan of uh, Bukele and his Bitcoin gambit. And he's, you're going to tank the economy. You know, somebody might kill me over there for saying that or working in politics. Uh, or at least we get put in jail. And I get to say a lot of crazy things here. And nobody to date, to date uh, that I know of has tried to murder me for it. But we definitely come from places in other parts of the world where that's that's not a joke. That's a reality. And we, we get to exist in this space where we are a new community. And it does kind of feel like we're hitting some critical mass. Uh, and, and a lot of folks are looking at us not just from a voting class, but a business class and advocacy, nonprofit leadership and elected officials. So Jason, you want to jump in? Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I mean, it's, you gotta be convicted. I mean, I'm, I'm one probably like the two y'all. I mean, I don't worry about tomorrow if I'm going to get cussed at, yelled at, called names, like in some ways, I mean, yeah, it's politics, but it's part of life. But if you really believe something and you're, and you're convicted about it and you got strong beliefs, then, you know, I think I think you're going to get through it. I mean, it's like you know the poverty discussion. We ought to one day just have a total discussion on poverty in Georgia and the Southeast. And you know, it's something I know the three of us agree on. You know, in terms of a major issue, but how I would get there and Joel would get there would probably be two different pathways, and there might be some commonality. But I think we got a, we got a lot of you know rattling off. You know, I think the different types of engagement happening. Um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, we're trying to just get to a place where we can help more people um, better themselves, but, you know, empower them to kind of live out their lives, not by me telling them what to do, but, you know, what's best for them and their family and, and, and their personal responsibility. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, you know, I think that I think we're part of that ecosystem, right? Los Politicos are, we all realize that we're having meaningful conversation amongst one another and we wanted to find a platform to kind of share our ideas and and to validate our our ideas meaning that we wanted to we wanted to create a forum where people felt that um, they would be fully appreciated and, and that their ideas and their beliefs and their passions would be would have a space to be acknowledged and discussed and so, you know, we we just need to we need to develop different opportunities to have meaningful conversations amongst one another. And then we need to find a way to amplify that and project that to the state of Georgia and those decision makers that exist out there, because we have we are a part of what makes Georgia great. And we need people to understand that and to and to invest in that. Right. And Latinos are here to stay. We are we are part of the body politic. We're part of the economy, the culture. We contribute to the culture. We contribute to the economy. We we contribute to the successes that the state has. And so, but for us, the niche that we operate in is is the political space. We want to make sure that um, our voices are heard at the polls and where decisions are being made 
in in halls of power and authority. So I'm just again, I'm just glad that we're able to have this conversation and that this concept of the Latinization of Georgia politics is becoming real. And it's not just a just not an idea floating in the ether, but it's something that's really tangibly um, coming to life. And we all all three of us are examples of that reality. And 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 I'm just glad to be going on this ride with all three of you. Um, you know, we may not agree on everything, but we do agree that we care about each other and that we want to work together for a lot, all Latinos in the state. Yeah. Also, there's just a lot of space to fill. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't care. You know, I have I talk to up and coming Hispanic Republicans, too, and I just kind of give them general advice of how to survive. And they'll tell me then they're in prominent organizations. And they're like, Chris, the advice that you've given me just to make sure that I don't have like an anxiety attack is more useful than any anything any other Republican has ever told me. And he's like, why are you doing this? And I was like, well, I, I it's lonely out there. And, you know, I, I never want somebody to feel in this profession or just in life, you know, feeling lonely sucks. And, um, you know, it's about supporting folks and building community because, you know, I, I'll brag about Senator Anavitarte very often to some very progressive Dems that, you know, have a bone to pick with him on other policy issues. And I'll be like, well, have you ever talked to him about education? Have you ever talked to him about healthcare? And he was like, you'd be surprised that you guys are on, you know, you're on the same mission. And he has, you know, he has some very, very innovative and, you know, cool ideas coming. They're like, oh, I, I didn't know that. And it's about bragging about those things that we gloss over that end up being the things that we have in common or just giving shout outs, the recognition. So you, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the national, you know, RNC investing in these resource centers for black API and Hispanic communities, respect. Republicans have often been known as the party that puts their money where their mouth is for outreach in Georgia. And I've, I've witnessed both sides. Democratic Party has had many opportunities and they've, they've squandered many. And it's not like they didn't know it was coming. Like they knew those centers were coming and they internally, they couldn't get around to it. But you want to know who is doing a bang up job? Senator Warnock, just from a very pragmatic, same way from the actual office of the senator, not from the campaign side, historic moment for the Georgia Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Yo, they got a first time congressionally directed spending amount in the history of Georgia for the C3 side. That like, what is what is going on? And also, don't take it for granted that we have our friend Marta Revelo, fellow Salvadoran woman, who is a very high ranking member in the community out, uh, community outreach and, and relations for Senator Warnock. And you can definitely feel the influence of Latinos in a government office especially as you get higher up and it's just about celebrating those victories but also just understanding that there's a lot more opportunity across the board and you know all over the place in georgia amen brother amen i agree um anything else to add guys well, i think we're, we're probably at time jason closing thoughts no i think that's it i mean i think we've hit on a lot i, I think we need an episode here maybe in the next couple of weeks um hey this is, uh, we're on your schedule senator yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, the world the world's crazy right now, and I think there's a lot to to cover. Um, you know, I think next time we need to talk about you know what's going on with the economy and gas prices, and we can talk. I mean, we also supply chain. What's going on in the ground? Uh, in the ground? Okay, well, we'll save on that for later. But in fact, oh yeah, 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 not in the ground. Um, I do also <laughs> want to say, if you don't already know, the Georgia Hispanic Chamber has their uh, their their gala coming up. I think in in August. I want to say very yep. soon in the next couple of months. Um, 
very fancy affair. Um, mm-hmm. Tickets are pricey. Uh, money well spent. Party's really good. But also, uh, there'll be tickets for the 50 most influential. That we are all former uh, winners of the 50 most influential. And uh, it's just a great place to recognize well-known leaders as well as Hall of Famers and folks that you've never heard of that are doing awesome things in the community. Uh, and that nominations are open for that. So make sure you nominate a, 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 a rising star or a proven leader that you feel passionately about. So with that said, gracias por su atención, damas y caballeros. Thank you for listening and for sticking around during the pauses. As always, you can learn more about us at www.lospoliticos.net. You can follow us wherever your favorite podcasts are found, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, and everything else in between. So until next time, hasta la próxima.